We have a very special guest with us. It's Max Kaiser returning to the show. He's an American investor, broadcaster, and filmmaker. He hosts the Kaiser Report, a financial program, and co-hosts with Stacey Herbert, the Orange Pill Podcast. He is also the founder of Bitcoin Capital and has been a Bitcoin advocate and educator since 2011 when the cryptocurrency was selling for just a dollar. Uh, please welcome to the show, Max Kaiser. Hey, Max. Jimmy, nice to see you again. Great to see you. Now, the reason why I had you on is I saw this uh, speech that uh, RFK Jr. gave at a Bitcoin oh, great. conference. And he so here's so Bitcoin magazine tweeted this out, which you provide with me. He said uh, the currency of peace, trust and freedom. Fiat currency is the opposite. So that's it to me. Super. I'm like, I never put together. I'm dumb, so I, I needed RFK Jr. to do this. And let me just show you uh, a little bit of what he said, and then I'll bring Max in to give me his opinion. As most of you know, that trucker strike was a peaceful demonstration of people who were demanding rights that are sacred and are taken for granted for every American. The right to be free of government mandates, the right for free assembly, the right for free speech, uh, the right to petition our government, all of those things that we take for granted. And nonetheless, and it was a peaceful demonstration, nonetheless, the Canadian government fiercely repressed the truckers' protest. Government officials declared a state of emergency. They suppressed free speech. Perhaps most alarmingly, they froze the bank accounts of hundreds of protesters and their supporters, which they identified using surveillance and data monitoring technologies. Some of these lawful and peaceful protesters, none of these lawful and peaceful protesters had violated any law. They had not been charged, and they certainly had not been convicted. It, but suddenly they found that they could not access their money, their bank accounts, to pay their mortgages or to feed their families. When I witnessed this cataclysm, this, this devastating use of, of government repression, I realized for the first time how free money is as important to freedom as free expression. And... So that's a big deal. And let me just play one more thing, and then we'll bring in Max. Here it is. As almost everyone in this room is aware of the link between Bitcoin and democracy and freedom. And that's why almost everybody I admit, I, that I meet who is involved in Bitcoin is passionate about it. It's, they're not passionate because it's an interesting currency. They're passionate because of the deep a representation of a deep need that we have for liberty and democracy and the promise that this innovation has to guarantee those virtues. Oh, and to, we, it, we are now living in this age of turnkey totalitarianism where this emerging technology which can empower totalitarian regimes and our job is to try to build and fortify democratic institutions at the same rate as that totalitarian instruments are being expanded in their power. 
things like AI, which really are going to threaten democracy at its base. We need to not be chipping away at our democratic institutions. We need to be fortifying the ones that exist and building new ones. And the biggest, most important one on the horizon is Bitcoin, because it can't be manipulated. All of you, I know, are here, again, not because you love a currency, but because you love our country, you love democracy, you love freedom. And in that sense, your support of Bitcoin puts you in the same category as the framers of the Constitution that gave us that Bill of Rights, that created these democratic institutions, and you are the current manifestation of that impulse. So thank you all very much for everything that you do. And thank you for being part of this movement. So he got a standing ovation for his speech, and I just played a part, a part of it. Let me bring in Max Kaiser. Now, I had never put together uh, before that liberty and democracy and Bitcoin and that blockchain technology. And, of course, it's the perfect example to use what happened with the truckers in Canada. Now, the mainstream news media, the corporate big pharma-funded news media, demonized the truckers as Nazis and white supremacists. Of course, they were neither of those things. They were peaceful and they weren't standing, they weren't protesting medicine. They were protesting authoritarianism and they shut down their, their, uh, bank accounts, which was super scary to people like me. Let me bring you in, Max. And, I, I, uh, what do you, what would you like to say about RFK Jr.'s speech? All right. Well, it was extremely well received. I was there. I was witnessing it and uh, he makes some excellent points. Uh, the one about freedom of speech and freedom of money are equally important to a free democratic society. When he talks about Bitcoin and democracy, what he's talking about there, Jimmy, is that with Bitcoin, you don't have the problem that you have with fiat money, which is fiat money, of course, is the paper money or the U.S. dollar, where those with the most dollars make the rules. You have these wealth concentrations developing, and it's um, not democratic because the big banks, for example, can go to Washington and make rules to help the big banks to make more money, to have more influence in Washington, to make rules to become bigger banks. Right. J.P. Morgan is seemingly the only bank in America that's allowed to operate in a way uh, that is uh, outside of, of the, in other words, they have no rule of law applying to J.P. Morgan, it would seem. So with Bitcoin, it works uh, in a different way. It works on a system of proof of, of uh, work where no matter how much Bitcoin you have, you don't have influence over Bitcoin. You can't manipulate Bitcoin. You can't manipulate the algorithm. You can't manipulate anything about Bitcoin. It runs autonomously. There's no central authority that runs it. It's up and running and it's and it's running by itself. So it's it doesn't have the same problems you have with fiat money and wealth concentration. So when RFK is talking about Bitcoin and democracy, he's talking about how Bitcoin allows for power to be distributed and decentralized. This is the idea of democracy is 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 by and for the people. So Bitcoin, because of the way it's designed, it ends up uh, being decentralized is what we say in Bitcoin. And you don't have these, these concentrations of wealth due to the fact that with the U.S. dollar and fiat money, those who are run the printing presses have all the power. So that is taken away from them. Bitcoin is the first example in our history of separating the state from money. And this is and this is interesting that RFK, uh, a major political figure, would be advocating Bitcoin because he's essentially advocating for the downsizing of the state uh, in, in a lot of ways. But one can understand this because he's also quite sensitive to what happens when you let the state run amok 
he has come out recently talking about the CIA and his uncle JFK involvement in that assassination. So clearly he is leery of the state and the deep state. And I think what appeals to him is the idea that Bitcoin is it brings in a layer of accountability that you don't have with banks and central banks, because every 10 minutes, the entire Bitcoin network is audited. This is the proof of work is every 10 minutes, the entire Bitcoin network going back to 2009 is audited and every transaction is transparent. And so we know exactly what money is going where. And it's impossible to hack. It's impossible to gain an influence by having a lot of Bitcoin. So I can see where RFK is now. Uh, has embraced, you know, what we call in Bitcoin orange pilling. You know, he has been orange pilled. You know, he, 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 he has gotten really, uh, the Bitcoin message. You know, Jimmy, going all the way back to the Julian Assange, remember when, uh, Visa, MasterCard and yeah. PayPal censored all the contributions to, uh, Julian Assange. Uh, that's what he's talking about with the truckers. Uh, the censorship. Bitcoin is also uncensorable. You cannot censor a transaction with Bitcoin. And you cannot confiscate Bitcoin. Whereas with the fiat money, you can censor a transaction, as you saw with the Canadian truckers or with Julian Assange, or it can be confiscated, as we're seeing now uh, quite routinely. Uh, again, in Canada, they went in and seized people's bank accounts. And this is something that finally uh, the Bitcoin community would say, finally, uh, this is the, the, the advantages of Bitcoin are becoming accepted by the mainstream and the dangers of paper money and central banks are finally manifesting uh, and people understand how dangerous these banks and central banks are, Jimmy. Boy, I, I guess I'm, I, it was his speech that orange pilled me. That means when you, orange pill means you woke up to the beauty of uh, Bitcoin. That's it. In other words, when I was on your show before, Jimmy, I guess I didn't orange pill you. It no. took RFK Jr. to orange pill you. Okay, fine. You, you, you pay the price you deserve. That's another phrase we uh, we talk about in Bitcoin. So, yeah, now I'm super interested in Bitcoin now. And now I realize it's it's uh, essential that Bitcoin is essential for democracy and freedom in the 21st century because what he referred to as these turnkey totalitarian systems and what that – so they can just – they can control your money – like they did to the truckers, they they got you. Now you can't travel, you can't go to work, you can't pay, you can't do anything, you can't buy gas to get in your car, you can't pay your mortgage. You get, they got you, so now they have they can control you, and so they can stop you from protesting, they can stop you from uh, uh, petitioning your government, they can stop you from doing whatever you are doing. They can. That's a hundred percent way to control someone. But if you had your money in Bitcoin. They, the government can't get at that Bitcoin. That's the whole no. point. No, that's unconfiscatable and uncensorable. And in response to Bitcoin, because the, the banks, Jimmy, are aware that Bitcoin is an existential threat to the banks and their business and the central banks. So what they've done in the last few years is introduce this idea of CBDC, a central bank digital currency, yeah. which they think will compete with Bitcoin. Right. But uh, two no. things. Number one. They're just recreating the same system again. There's nothing right. because it's centralized. Uh, it, do, it doesn't compete with the decentralized Bitcoin, number one. Number two, it brings in a whole other layer of surveillance, as you just described, but it gets more pernicious than ever before. For example, um, the CBDC is the currency that, let's say, you are being paid in a CBDC, and this particular CBDC that appears in your Fed 
Bitcoin account has an expiration date, like a frequent flyer mile. And it'll say, you have to spend this $1,000 in your account by January of 2024 or it expires. And the reason they would do that is to force consumption because the American economy is essentially a consumer economy and the consumer is essentially highly indebted. Um, so they have to figure out a way to keep the consumer in debt and to keep consumption rolling. And so by having a currency that expires like a frequent flyer mile, they can trap people into an endless cycle more so than they are already. Most people are already in a, a debt cycle and people have no savings. I think the average American has maybe one or two months of savings. You know, if they suddenly lost their income, they maybe have one or two months before they're completely bankrupt. So this is the way the banks like it because they end, you end up going to them to borrow. And the average rate on credit cards has never been higher. It's something like 24%, which is extortionary, which is incredibly high, which is usurious, which is, it was illegal in many, it should be, it has been illegal. And, but here, you know, just so you get some context, Jimmy, you know, I'm talking to you from El Salvador where I live with Stacy, my wife, and they made Bitcoin legal tender. Um, um, last year and the, the economy has thrived and the president Bukele has embraced Bitcoin. He has been orange pilled by Bitcoin and he has essentially, uh, passed on those benefits to the population that is now thriving under a Bitcoin standard. So El Salvador, believe it or not, is leading the world in monetary reform with Bitcoin as legal tender. And this is, uh, really, spreading all over the region. So Central America is becoming a, a really a, a bastion of liberty and freedom. Uh, President Bukele's policy is, is economic freedom. And uh, this is spreading now to the other five Central American countries. And of course, you see pockets of this all over the world in Africa and Asia and Europe. You see different communities and countries heading toward a Bitcoin standard. But here in El Salvador, they're leading the way. So El Salvador is leading the Bitcoin revolution with President Bukele, who I've had a, the good fortune of meeting several times. And he is a once in a 500 year political genius, I would say. He, he's absolutely on, on, the, on the mark and he's taking El Salvador into the 21st century. And his, the model here will be copied around the world. Uh, one of the last countries to get into the Bitcoin as a legal tender will be the United States because it's still benefiting by having world reserve currency. And there's a lot of benefits that come with that, um, that uh, they don't want to give up in terms of being, having these oligarchy. America's an oligarchy, Jimmy. Uh, of, yes. Of banks, right? I mean, America makes fun of Russia for having oligarchs, know. but you know, Russia's got nothing on the America oligarchs. Jamie Dimon is an oligarch. And so are the five or six bankers that run the entire system as are a few of the big pharma big energy, right? That's an oligarchy, Jimmy. Those are oligarchs. That's right. Capitalism. Don't blame capitalism for, for allowing your economy to become an oligarchy. That's right. Uh, we've, so we've made uh, that message here on this show. Uh, your people point to January 6th of them trying to steal our democracy. And I have to remind people your democracy was stolen from you decades and decades ago, which is why workers haven't had a raise since 1980. And half the country can't afford a $400 emergency and 80% of workers live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, that's, that's, that, that, that doesn't happen in a democracy. So we don't live in a democracy. We live in an oligarchy, which is correctly you point out. And it was proven by the Princeton study. So there was a couple more things about Bitcoin I want you to explain. So in his speech, 
There's some, there's some, I mean, this is all about, if you're into freedom and liberty and being able to uh, have autonomy uh, against and to, to, to oppose oligarchies and the establishment, you, you're going to be interested in Bitcoin because now, because that's what's going to give you the power. So here, there's a bunch of ways that the government's trying to screw with Bitcoin. So tell people what this means to defend the right to self custody. What does that mean? Right. So I can take my private keys from my Bitcoin and keep it in um, cold storage, as it's called. And they would that would be unconfiscatable wealth. It's self-custody. I have the right to, to have my own money and to custody my own money and not have a custody at a bank. So, so what are you talking about there is defend the right to self-custody, defend the right to I can my property. It's my property and you can't touch it. And that's the right for self-custody. Bitcoin it, it relies. Who else would get custody to that Bitcoin key? Nobody. Right. So, okay. So, I mean, why do you, then why do you have to defend that right? You know, I don't understand who's trying to take that right away. The, the banks would like to take that right away and politicians would like to take the right away because they don't want you to be self-sovereign and for you to have wealth that they don't control. And so they would want. Said a minute ago, you said they want to be able to censor you and to they want to be able to uh, confiscate your money and to manage you and to penalize you if they don't like the way what you're doing by attacking your bank account. If you have self custody of your Bitcoin, they cannot do that. You are you are free from that kind of invasiveness from the government. Okay. And so then the next one is uphold the right to run a node. Now. Tell people what that is and what that means. I don't know what that means. Well, essentially, Bitcoin is uh, thousands of nodes that carry a copy of the entire Bitcoin blockchain from 2009. And you can verify your own transactions if you have your own node. So when you do transactions and you're transacting with somebody else uh, in Bitcoin, it shows up in the blockchain on these blocks. And you can see in the blocks where your transactions are and you have the ability to have your own node and to run your own node and to be a part of the network. And to, again, as part of being self-sovereign, you have your own Bitcoin node and you, you, you are part of the network and you, you want to have that right to be able to do that. Now, number three, neutral regulation of energy. Now, one of the ways that the government and the banks try to disparage bitcoin is they say it uses too much energy it's bad for the environment because you have to run these nodes i guess to make this whole work and now rfk jr said that even though he's an environmentalist don't buy that argument uh, that it's bad for the environment can you expound on that at all max yeah sure i'm the the, the energy that's used to run the Bitcoin network is roughly one-tenth of one percent of global energy consumption. It's not a lot of energy. And if you compare it to the amount of energy that runs the fiat money world, which includes the Pentagon, because remember, this dollar is backed by the Pentagon. Right. I mean, if, you, every, if we went on a Bitcoin standard, suddenly the, the America would have a lot more money in the bank account because they wouldn't need to be defending the dollar by putting trillions of dollars, 50 cents of every tax dollar into the Pentagon, right? The Pentagon's number one job is to keep the global dollar world reserve currency going. And if any country tries to break out of the dollar, we send in the military and, you know, we muck around and do all this stuff. So the energy usage case uh, in terms of its green footprint is wildly overstated uh, in terms of the actual energy being used. Number two, it, it, then we have 
the right to use energy or should have the right to use energy in whatever way we see fit. We shouldn't be told how to spend that energy. It's an open market. It's a competitive market for energy. And if our energy usage is securing this network that's giving people individual sovereignty and downsizing the government, that's a great use of energy. So we shouldn't be yeah. guided by by uh, agenda, like a global agenda, of, uh, as RFK talks about. He's very leery of those who are pushing uh, certain uh, green agendas that seem to inc- uh, encourage the printing of trillions of dollars, which end up in these institutions that become huge uh, monolithic global institutions that end up having uh, more to say about American politics than American politicians, right? Because we have this these these global organizations uh, that have a lot of power and. Part of the green agenda is to give them a lot of power and right. to print a lot of money, et cetera. So that energy neutrality simply is saying that, you know, we, we want to be able to generate energy and use energy to power the economy. All, all economics runs on energy, Jimmy. You know, without energy, there's no economics. So, um, let's let the market decide which is the best use case for this energy. And if you're running this, network of Bitcoin, which is unconfiscatable, uncensorable, and is putting out the old, putting the oligarchs out of business, that seems like a good use of energy. I agree. Uh, keep the U.S. a global Bitcoin hub. Right. So, um, you know, the, the, the amount of en- energy is a big part of fueling the Bitcoin network. So the Bitcoin network, just to give you an incredibly interesting number here, runs on something like 250 quintillion calculations a second. You know, it's an enormous network. And part of that network are uh, in, in Texas right now, where the miners that are part of this network have access to very cheap energy. They have become probably the biggest um, center of Bitcoin in the world. They inherited this from China. When China banned Bitcoin uh, last year, all that mining and essentially went, ended up in Texas. So Texas is now kind of the Bitcoin capital of the world. And, and, and countries are now getting into this game of competitively mining Bitcoin. And I, I liken it to the new space race. Remember the Sputnik moment? Uh, the Soviets put up the Sputnik satellite and then suddenly the space race began. Well, we're at a period now which would be called the hash race or the hash war where countries are realizing that the, the countries with the most Bitcoin mining and the most Bitcoin are going to be in the best position for the 21st century because of all the attributes of Bitcoin that we were talking about that are very positive. So now countries are – what he's saying there is that right now the U.S. is a huge center for Bitcoin. We want to keep the U.S. and Texas as big Bitcoin centers. Um, I know that here in El Salvador, you know, we're building out our Bitcoin mining and infrastructure to take on these other countries as well, because this is really the economics of the 21st century is going to be all about energy and Bitcoin. So anyway, that's a that's a plea. It's interesting also, Jimmy, that uh, Ted Cruz, who's on the other party, the other side of the political spectrum, who's a Republican, uh, makes the same comment in the in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, so here you have a bipartisan issue. RFK is clearly on a Democrat. He's a lefty. Ted Cruz is clearly on the right. But they're, this is a bipartisan issue that they understand that the oligarchies got out of control. The banks are out of control. Bitcoin is, fixes all these problems and everyone's coming on board with this. And I understand how this plays into the American values of free markets, democracy, et cetera. So the next one is regulate Bitcoin as a commodity. 
Right. So Bitcoin, you know, what is it? You know, if you hear this question all the time, you know, my answer is that Bitcoin is essentially an absolutely scarce synthetic digital commodity. And um, this is important on the regulatory front because you don't want to see uh, uh, power, let's say, to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, to come in and regulate Bitcoin as a security. Uh, because that would bring in the whole suite of regulations that are not appropriate for this, uh, because it is a digital commodity. And um, here in El Salvador, we recently passed laws that made this exact point. So in El Salvador now, Bitcoin is money, and everything else uh, that might com- com- compete with it is considered a security. So they would have to be um, regulated under the security uh, regulator as such. So again, El Salvador is leading the world. Um, you know, Gary Gensler, who runs the SEC in Washington, he is uh, very lax in his – they're regulating by enforcement, and they're taking case by case every one of these new crypto projects that comes along that, that says that the new Bitcoin, he lets them fester for a while, and then he, and then he goes after them, and then he – he tells them that they're unregistered securities and puts them out of business. So things like Ether or something called XRP, you know, these are unregistered securities. The SEC has yet to clamp down on them as unregistered securities, even though they clearly are. And uh, it's caused a lot of confusion. So um, one way to get rid of that confusion is just to say, and we've done it here in El Salvador, is that, you know, Bitcoin is essentially a commodity. So we don't need a securities regulator. Uh, it's a commodity and um, like gold, and um, it has those attributes. So um, that's where that that's that's the point of of that comment there. And who is pardoned? Who is Ross Ulbricht that they want him pardoned? Right, Ross Ulbricht was the mastermind behind Silk Road. If you recall, Silk Road um, was a very early use case of Bitcoin. It was an online open drug bazaar where people were buying drugs and other services using Bitcoin. And um, he ended up going to jail for something like two lifetimes plus, like an extraordinarily ridiculous amount of, of uh, penalty for um, crimes that uh, it's, it's disproportionate to, 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 to the underlying crime. He was, he, he was running a, uh, you know, uh, an unsavory website, you could say. So um, this has become a rallying cry uh, for the community. Uh, Ross is in is in jail and unfairly so. And so the community has been and you know working uh, year after year to free Ross. He's kind of like the Bitcoin's version of Julian Assange, if you will. He's a he, we we consider him something of a political prisoner, uh, and it's, we're trying to free him. Um, as, uh, and so this is a, a rallying cry, uh, as well. So you, so you think the establishment put him in prison to try to scare people off Bitcoin? Yeah, definitely. Because Bitcoin, you know, a lot of people say, why, why is the creator of Bitcoin anonymous, right? That's a question people come up with all the time. And the reason is because up and before Bitcoin, the attempts of creating digital money, there are several. And what has happened in the past is that a lot of these people that were came up with not successful versions, but similar versions ended up uh, in prison or chased down or they got into a lot of trouble. And the, the creator of Bitcoin, the anonymous creator, understanding that this was going to be absolute kryptonite to the banking system, wisely chose 
to leave the scene once it was introduced into the environment, because this is the this is the existential threat that the bankers have feared for uh, many, many decades. Remember, Ben Franklin said the primary reason for the Declaration of Independence and the American Revolution was to escape the Bank of England. Uh, which they felt was onerous and uh, draconian in their relationship. And that Bank of England model exists in the Federal Reserve Bank. The, the central bank is, it, it, you see it in what's happened to the American economy. It's become a grotesque freak of what it, where it was even 20, 30 years ago because the central bank just bails out their friends and leaves everybody else hanging. Um, in, in, in a very uh, disproportionate way. And so this solves that problem and it does scare them a bit. And so um, this is why um, this is, this is, this is why like Charlie Schramm, an early adopt uh, guy in Bitcoin ended up spending a couple of years in jail. It, you know, when you, when you take on the bankers in this way, it's, you know, you're, you're taking on the biggest lobbyist group in America. Right. The most powerful lobbyists in America are the banking lobbyists, I would say, or the energy lobbyists. Those two are definitely the bank are the biggest. So this is really kryptonite to their model. So they're obviously not going to let go without a fight. And we're at that stage now where they're fighting back and they're fighting back a lot. So do you. So do you see a, a scenario where crypto replaces banks? Well, first of all, you know, we get into the habit of saying Bitcoin and not crypto, because when you say crypto, it, it kind of is a, a generic term for 20,000, um, what we call shit coins, you know, Bitcoin wannabes. And there's only one Bitcoin. So okay. we just say Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I mean, RFK, you know, he's been orange filled. He says it's Bitcoin, Bitcoin only. So, I mean, cryptography is an element of the Bitcoin protocol, but it doesn't, it's not the defining element of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the totality of several technologies that came together to create this phenomenon of which encryption is part of it. But so it's, but it's a misnomer to refer to it simply as crypto because then you're, you're, then you have 20,000 scammers okay. out there that, that will, that, that, that come in. So, um, it, it, so the question is, is Bitcoin again, the question is, <laughs> the question is, will, Bi the, will Bitcoin, do you, do you ever see a time when Bitcoin replaces uh, banks? Right. So the goal is for Bitcoin to become what we call it hyper Bitcoinization or Bitcoin becomes a unit of account. So Bitcoin is the money. It's the global standard. And so everything is priced in Bitcoin and you have Bitcoin and you transact in Bitcoin. And that's your medium of exchange. And the dollar is not used and you don't need banks. Banks are no longer needed to perform clearing operations because when you do a Bitcoin transaction, it clears itself. You know, when you do a stock transaction, it takes three days to actually clear that transaction, to settle that transaction. Any kind of financial transaction requires time to settle because they have to go back and match everything up to see if this is that and you sold it and where did it come from. With Bitcoin, the transaction is a settlement because every 10 minutes, everything is completely audited. So all the necessary back-end machinery of that entire uh, industry is becomes redundant. You don't need any of that. You don't need banks. Uh, so in countries, and in countries in Africa, where there is no banking infrastructure, or we would find uh, countries where there are no banks, the Bitcoin has become the de facto currency because you don't need a bank. You just need, you just need, a, it's a peer to peer network. You and I can transact in Bitcoin. We do not need an intermediary. We do not need a bank. They cannot censor it. They cannot confiscate it. We do not need banks. 
this is then they finally figured that they're starting to figure this out and that's why they're getting angry and they're fighting back and they're introducing CBDCs and these other things to try to come up with a solution but it's too late they there's too late for them they are uh dead banks walking and so how long in the future do you think it will be before people will get mortgages using bitcoin well, like I said, the goal is for everything to be priced in Bitcoin. So um, you still have an economy where there'll be a need for lending facilities, but the base layer will be Bitcoin, right? So the base layer is this unconfiscatable digital gold-like commodity that is better than gold. I mean, that's usually most people discuss in economic forums. They try to compare gold and Bitcoin and they have that conversation. But, you know, this conversation is very interesting because RFK Jr. made a speech at a Bitcoin conference and he is a political, comes from a political dynasty and he's an incredibly articulate guy and he's put his hat in the ring to run for president and he's fully orange-pilled. So, and he's on the left. I mean, a lot of lefties I know would not consider him to be pure, a pure lefty guy, but he is without a doubt a democratic politician and um, this is really shaking things up. I, I, I really think that um, RFK plus Bitcoin is going to be the story heading into the 2024 election. It could be a single issue election, Jimmy. We could be Bitcoin could be the defining uh, issue for 2024. Well, Max, I got to tell you, I'm on board. I, I was not on board before. I thought that Bitcoin was, you know, a, a, a toy that rich guys like to play with. And now I understand that, no, that if, you know, the truckers, uh, it, it gives us all a voice. It gives us all power and it gives us all, uh, the power to oppose oligarchy. It gives us the power to oppose authoritarianism. Uh, it gives the, I mean, it's, it, it gives us democracy. It really does. Uh, I didn't really understand this until then. But of course, the example he used about the truckers, as soon as he brought that up, I was like, Oh my God, that's right. So this, you know, the fu- the future, it, neoliberalism is collapsing and the way they are keeping it going is through a narrative control and censorship and financial control, like how they shut down the truckers. So it's, uh, it's all authoritarianism and the, there, I can't think of a better tool to fight back against it right now than Bitcoin. And, you know, you're not going to get it. You know, I'm 100 percent, of course, I've been doing this for since 2011 uh, with the community making this shouting from the rooftops about this story. And uh, two things are working in our favor. Number one, the invasiveness of the of politicals, politicians and bankers to seize money will become an ever present problem because they need the money. You know, bank seizures will happen because the government needs your money. They'll just take it. Uh, that'll be a more common phenomenon. It's called a bail-in, yeah. not a bail-out. They I just take your money. Um, and number two, the, the 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 currency system that's been in place since Brent Wood, since the end of World War II, is extremely fragile because – basically, you know, not to be too, you know, let's be blunt. Um, when um, the Russia Ukraine kicked off, the, the conflict kicked off, this was the, the end of the 40 year bull market in the U.S. Treasury bond market and the beginning of a secular uh, market in commodities. 
Because in other words, Russia is the biggest commodity producer in the world, and they're assembling a coalition of the called the BRICS, yes. which is people are clamoring to join the BRICS, not NATO, because that's where the commodities are. And the ability to for Wall Street to manipulate prices using all the tricks that they've been doing has come to an end because they overdid it. They loaded themselves up with too much debt, too many derivatives. Interest rates got too cheap for too long. And there's too much fat in the system. And now it's collapsing. So that's happening now. And the need for censorship proof and unconfiscatable money, these are all coming together. And all the, all that points to Bitcoin. And people worry. So people will confuse Bitcoin and digital currency from central banks. Do, uh, do they will. You, yeah. Because all the people, people are already in the chat saying that, oh, digital currency is the direct road to authoritarianism. Well, that's not what Bitcoin. It's not a central bank digital currency. It's Bitcoin. And nobody the can. Word, no. yeah. The word is decentralization. Yeah. So it's, it's decentralization versus centralization. So all the, the current system, the reason that your money can be seized and the reason it can be censored is because it's centrally controlled. Right? That makes sense. Yes. And so with Bitcoin and a CBDC is also centrally controlled. It's called a central bank yes. digital currency, right? That's yes. right in the name, central, <laughs> right? So it's a central, right? So it's centralized. That gives a, that means that there's a, there's a center, there's an organization yes. and they have a database and they're centrally controlling you. Okay. Uh, Bitcoin is decentralized. There is no control. Nobody's controlling it. It's running autonomously. It has since 20, uh, 2009 with never a down moment. And, um, this is one of, this is, this is why it's such a threat to the central authorities and the, and the authoritarians that run these banks because it's, they can't control it. They can't control it. I mean, you know, some companies like MicroStrategy run by Michael Saylor figured this out a couple of years ago, went out and bought Billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin because his point being that the only way the central banks can fight any, any threat is by printing more money. And now you see it in the loss of purchasing power, otherwise known as inflation. The last time I was on your show when I'm talking about Bitcoin, I, I was talking about it purely in terms of inflation. And I said at that time that inflation was not transitory. It was going to bust past two, 2%. It was intractable and it was going to be an ever increasing problem. And, and, and so your purchasing power for your dollars every single year goes down. That every, nobody who's listening to me right now will argue that point that they can't buy less with their dollars today than they could a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. That's not something to argue. In the meanwhile, Bitcoin, because it's absolutely scarce and that you can't make any more of it, no matter how high the price goes, the value, the value adjusts in this, in this, in, toward the money printing. So it, it's going to go up, right? Because all those dollars are chasing a finite quantity of Bitcoin. It's the same argument for gold, but gold is not as good because gold at the end of the day is also highly centralized. There's like five or six countries that own the biggest piles of gold, China, Russia, France, the IMF has a big gold stock. So it's not really as decentralized as you would hope gold would be. And so, and the price can be manipulated pretty easily. And there's been a number of cases where banks have had to pay fines for manipulating the price of gold. And it's, it's, it's pretty easy to manipulate the price of gold. And if they want to keep the, the U.S. dollar 
from being um, from any of the capital draining off into gold, you know, traditionally what's been happening in the last 20 or 30 years is you, you artificially keep the price of gold cheap, even though inflation is going up. Well, guess what? You can't do any of that with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is true price discovery. There's no way anyone can manipulate the price. It is volatile. I'll, I'll say one other thing, because another problem people have with Bitcoin is that, oh, it's volatile. It's too volatile. You can't use it as money. And my, what I say to this is that if you look purely at price of Bitcoin, you're missing, you're missing the whole story. What you have to look at is how much computational power is being thrown at the network around the world, what we call the hash, hash power, but the, the, essentially the computational power that, that two, 250 quintillion transactions a second. How, what's been going on there for the last 12 or 13 years? Well, guess what? It's gone straight up. The price is volatile, but the amount of energy that's being thrown at this network has never ever gone down because every single day people like yourself or people like, uh, you know, uh, Paul Tudor Jones on Wall Street or people on, uh, regular, the truckers in Canada, they realize the value and they're, they're coming into the network. So we, that's the bull market. If you look at the chart of the hash rate or the computational power, you see that it, it's, it, it's never goes down. It's just a 45 degree angle up. The price is volatile, but you have to ask yourself one very important question. If I hold dollars, uh, my dollars are not volatile, but I'm guaranteed, I'm mathematically guaranteed to lose purchasing power versus Bitcoin which I'm, which is volatile, but I'm mathematically guaranteed to increase purchasing power over time. And in this case, three, three and a half years. If you hold for three, three and a half years, you're in the black. But if you accept a little volatility, Jimmy, you're mathematically guaranteed to increase your purchasing power. The Bitcoin you own today, you buy today is guaranteed to buy more in three and a half, four years than it is today. And that's not true of any paper money. It's mathematically true what I just said. They print trillions and trillions. Therefore, the, the ability is simple economics. If you just add trillions of dollars of paper money, its value in terms of a medium of exchange is going to go down, Jimmy. So one final question. What, uh, what happens? So we've seen them turn off the, 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 the internet, right? They did it in, yeah. in, in certain countries in Egypt and, and the governments can turn off the internet. What happens to Bitcoin if a government turns off the internet? Well, it can run on mesh nets. So you have uh, individual mesh nets of multiple, you know, radio nodes and they can work. You don't need uh, the internet. You can trade Bitcoin without the internet. Uh, first of all, um, and number two, you can get a feed of price. Uh, you can get a Bitcoin feed from satellites, right? But the Bitcoin uh, is now being bounced off satellites, so there's also that going on. So the internet is not is not um, it's not uh, failed. It's not uh, you can still work your 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 internet. I would also uh, your your Bitcoin. I would also say that if you have a catastrophic situation where the internet goes off and there's chaos. All of your property that you own in your, your home, your car, your gold, your guns, your, you know, your butter, whatever, all that can be either stolen or seized. But if you have, you memorize your private keys and you have it memorized in your, in your head, all of your wealth is still going to be sitting in on the Bitcoin blockchain. 
so that when the power is turned on again, you can just access your Bitcoin again. That's not true of anything else. Every single other form of property can be stolen or seized. Only Bitcoin you cannot seize. And that's true whether the Internet is on or off. But as I said, even if they turn the Internet off, you can still run the network off a couple of laptops and a mesh net. And the network would still be going the way it's designed. You know, I could go on the technicalities of it, but essentially it would just keep going. We had, we had an example of this in China. China turned, banned Bitcoin and they were 40% of the entire market. And within several weeks after a bit of a rocky transition, the, the entire industry moved to Texas. Imagine having like a trillion dollar gold mining industry in China and then the government banning the gold mining and you were able to pick up all of your gold mines and ship them to Texas in three weeks. Right? That does, that, that's not a practical thing that you would ever expect would ever happen. That's impossible. But with Bitcoin, that's exactly what happened because all it's the, the energy used that was being done in China just simply popped up in Texas and then the network never suffered any downtime, right? It's indestructible. So, you know, it's a gift from, you know, this is uh, the only positive thing going on is Bitcoin. I mean, here in El Salvador, you should come down and visit us, Jimmy. I, I encourage you to visit us and do some shows down here. And I think you'll blow your mind because the, the attitude is positive. People are happy. The violence is down 95%, 98%. They eradicated all uh, homicides within uh, a year, right? The death, the death rate that was the highest in, in the world is now one of the lowest. It's El Salvador is now the safest country in the Americas. It's safer than Canada. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you ever disclose how much Bitcoin that you personally own? No, because I lost it all in a tragic boating accident. What? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, now that we're into Bitcoin, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you another phrase that we use in Bitcoin. So, you know, technically, if I have my private keys, you know, nobody knows really anything about it. It's a private key. And if anyone comes knocking, I mean, I lost them. I don't, you know. What are you talking about? Bitcoin? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. So I don't know what you're saying, buddy. I don't know. So, uh, you know, no, I don't, I I lost it all, Jimmy. It's all gone. So it's all gone, Jimmy. I don't know. I think what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, what about Julian? No, wasn't Julian Assange an early adopter of Bitcoin? Doesn't he hold a lot of it? Yeah, actually, uh, interesting story because I was the, I was the one, I'm pretty sure I was the one that got, uh, through the EFF, Electronic, um, Freedom Foundation, I believe it's called. Um, they, um, were, uh, getting, trying to get him the Visa Mascar PayPal to, uh, establish a legal defense fund. And so I encouraged them to open, you know, a Bitcoin wallet. And, um, he did he get a lot of Bitcoin donations. So, uh, Julian does have, um, some Bitcoin. The U.S. government actually, Jimmy, has a lot of Bitcoin because they seized it from Silk Road. The U.S. government has Bitcoin and they've been selling it. So in my view, it's like selling strategic assets. Like the U.S. has been selling the only valuable thing left in this global economy. They've been dumping it. It's similar to when the Bank of England under Gordon Brown in the U.K. sold half of their gold reserves uh, in 2008 during that period at the behest of Goldman Sachs. To, to bail out a customer. And so they took the sovereign wealth of the country and they flushed it down the toilet. So here, America is doing something similar. They had, they had a big position of Bitcoin. They've been selling it in the open market and they, and as I, as I understand it, they will continue to sell it. So they, they, 
which would be an unbelievable tragedy um, because the U.S., instead of being a powerhouse in Bitcoin, they've chosen the route to defend the oligarchs on Wall Street, which is not surprising, right? I mean, that, that's who funds them. That's right. Right? So yeah. that's who they work for. Right. And um, so, but the American people should be outraged because it's like they're selling Yosemite National Park or they're selling, you know, uh, a huge strategic asset um, um, on the cheap because the price is going to be heading up to, uh, like I said, back in 2011, if Bitcoin captures 1% of the global foreign exchange market, that's $100,000 per coin. But since then, you know, that number has been revised because now the total global amount of uh, financial instruments on planet Earth is roughly 400 trillion. If you take into account um, all of the investment uh, vehicles and all the derivatives. So if Bitcoin obviously would capture a percentage of that, you're talking one million, two million dollars of Bitcoin, you know? Okay. Max Kaiser, he's the host of the Orange Pill podcast, all about Bitcoin. Uh, check it out. Stacy! Stacy! Thank you, uh, along with Stacy Herbert. Thank you so much for being our guest, Max, taking time to explain what Bitcoin is all about. It's actually really important. It's not just a fun financial thing for rich guys. It's actually something that's going to be necessary for activists. And, uh, I'm sh- anybody who wants to organize against the establishment is going to need Bitcoin. And uh, I think it's it's the future. And so thanks for coming on and uh, helping everybody understand it. Take care, yeah, Max. I wrote, a piece, I wrote a piece on Huffington Post eight years ago called Bitcoin is for Activists. Really? Got no no attention. Okay, well. I, I did a piece. I did, you know, I've been. Anyway, well, I, we're out of time. So we'll, do, we'll, we'll catch up again sometime, hopefully, Jimmy. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, I'll look into El, El Salvador. Excellent. Well, you're welcome to come down. You have a great time. Okay. All right, Max. Take care, brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Check out my new stand-up special, COVID Lies Are Funny, at JimmyDoor.com. Only $10. Become a premium member. We're going to be on tour in Northampton, Massachusetts, Syracuse, Cohoes, New York, Hartford, Los Angeles, Bakersfield, California, Baltimore, Maryland, and San Francisco, California. Plus, if we say Chicago, there's lots of stuff. Go to JimmyDoor.com for a link for tickets. See you there.